Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, July fifth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and the SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, as well as Stitcher. With us today is Mystic Blue. With whom I will be discussing her poem, "Door," and my poem, "This Too Is Love." Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of July sixth, from Monday, July sixth, until Sunday, July twelfth, from six to seven p.m. Paris time each day. Wise will be hosting. The second to the eighth day of their eight-day Paris Writers Workshop with Joffrey Nutter. You can find out more information about that at wise-paris.org. Again, that's wise-paris.org. Wise is spelled W-I-C-E. From 8 p.m. to midnight Paris time, Spoken World Paris will be hosting its Spoken World Online with the theme of stillness via Zoom. You can find out more information about that at spokenwordparis.org. Again, that's spokenwordparis.org. From 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting the ninth of its 20 episode, the Nuijinan Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate, but only Indigenous youths between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prizes, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information about that at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash six four four five four seven three zero nine four five eight six eight zero. From seven thirty to nine thirty p.m. Eastern Time, Spit That DC and Wooly Mammoth will be hosting their Spit That Digital Patriot Acts event via Zoom. You can find out more information about that at. Woollymammoth.net forward slash events. Again, that's Woollymammoth.net forward slash events. From 8 p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting its Poets Playground Open Mic via Instagram Live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's Poets underscore Playground underscore. On Tuesday. July seventh, from three to five p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its first draft open mic for those between the ages of thirteen and twenty-three. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org/first-draft. From seven thirty to ten thirty p.m. Eastern Time, Josh Smalls, Mr. Wiz. And Beach City Poetries will be hosting their poetry threesome via Instagram Live. The first hour at Coach Josh Smalls, the second hour at Mr. Wiz, and third hour at Beach City Poetries. Again, that's the first hour at Coach Josh Smalls. That's J A H S M A L L S. Second hour at Mr. Wiz. That's M R W I T Z. 
and third hour at Beach City Poetries. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet event via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, our past poet guest Austin Davis will be reading from his new book, Celestial Nightlight, which is due out on the 7th via Instagram Live with the Mesa Library at Mesa Library. Again, that's at Mesa Library. Mesa is spelled M-E-S-A. On Wednesday, July 8th, from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting its Nuijinan's God Talent, which showcases indigenous youth between 13 and 25 years old via Instagram Live. You can RSVP to participate at Nuijinan TV, and that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. Again, that's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N TV. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's a poet named Superman. From 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cupper will be hosting its virtual poetry open mic via Zoom. You can find out more information and sign up at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. On Thursday, July 9th, from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Spitdat DC will be hosting its weekly open mic on Instagram Live at Spitdat DC. That's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. Again, that's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. From 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, July 10th, 5 p.m. New Mexico time is the deadline for the fellowship application for this year's Immersion Dine Writers Institute, which will take place from July 19th to 25th. The fellowship is open to Diné writers in high school, college, and graduate school, and you can find out more information about that at edwi.navajotech.edu forward slash for hyphen students. Again, that's edwi.navajotech.edu forward slash for hyphen students. For is F-O-R. From 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquis 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling on Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's 10,000 Poetry with 10,000 spelled out. On Saturday, July 11th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, New Women's Space will be hosting its open mic night online, and you can find out more information about that at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. Again, that's newwomenspace.com forward slash events. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. 
from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. Our past poet guests, Sean Avery, along with Raquel Dennis and Palabras Bookstore, will be hosting their As We Speak, a Black-centered open mic where anyone can attend, but only Black creatives and artists will perform. You can find out more information about that at Skinny Black Sean or at Raquel Dennis underscore on Instagram. That's Skinny Black Sean. Black is B-L-K. Sean is S-E-A-N. And Raquel Dennis is spelled R-A-Q-U-E-L-D-E-N-I-S underscore. On Sunday, July 12th, from 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Pure Ink Poetry will be hosting its video slam. And you can find out information and sign up to participate at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Mystic Blue. Hi, Mystic Blue. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, me too. appreciate you being here with us. You brought with you your poem, Door. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, but I've lived in Arizona for about 14 years. Mm -hmm. Off and on, I did move away for a little bit. But um, I am a local artist here in the Valley, so I do poetry, spoken word artist. I'm also a singer, songwriter, musician, and I also have my own spiritual tarot card reading business. So that's mainly what I do here. I am single, no children, anything like that. So <laughs> that's, that's what I do. Cool. Wow. I was wondering when you started to write poetry. Honestly, poetry was the first thing I started. I started that before music. So I started to write poetry when I was nine. That was my first poem that I ever wrote. I can't remember the name of it. But I do remember it had something to do with just like school or nature or something Mm. like that. Okay. Okay. Was there something in particular that made you decide to turn to poetry when you were nine? It was always an escape for me. Um, Mm. I did grow up in not the best situation. Childhood wasn't... It wasn't extremely bad, but there was abuse in the childhood, in my surrounding and environment. So I did it to release, honestly. I mm-hmm. didn't have an outlet, anyone to talk to about the stuff I was going through. And so I just picked up a pencil and started writing. So it was really a release for me. Right, right. Why did you pick poetry, though, instead of like um, prose, like writing short stories or fiction, things like that? I honestly have no idea. I started singing before that, like grew up singing in church choirs, but Mm. I I didn't start writing until nine and it was a poem. And I have no idea, honestly, why it just came out of me. It was like I channeled and I I say channeling and I just started writing and it was a poem because I didn't understand how to write a song at that time. I just wrote and it just came out. Mm. Do you now write in other forms, or I know you write songs, but like in terms of literary arts? Actually, I do. I just started. I'm working on two books right now. Uh-huh. Um, they're not finished. I don't have titles. One is more like a self-help book mm-hmm. uh, based on around the subject of codependency. Right. So I am writing that book, and then I do have a fiction novel that I won't say the subject yet but it mm-hmm. does have to do with a relationship but it's kind of a controversial relationship right. both of those books I've been kind of just 
writing here and there on. I don't have a set date when to release them, but it's my first time actually writing a book. So yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you've been, you've kept yourself really busy then. Yes. As the years have gone, I have, but I, my thing is I need to like set date. I don't like to set dates and be like, this book needs to be done by next year. I just write and, and usually it's like two or three years later right. <laughs> and something's done. So that's right. the only thing I wish I could just have more discipline with this date to release, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. The creative process is not really always under our command, at least not fully anyway. So That is true. That's definitely true. Yeah. We'll just let it come as it comes. The muse is very fickle. That's how I like it anyways. I like everything to be free-flowing. Right, right, right. Well, if you don't mind, I would love for you to read Door for us. Sure, absolutely. I'm going to read a shortened version because it is a long poem. Thank you. And it's, it's called Door. My father used to stand at the bathroom door while I was getting ready for school and tell me how ugly I was. How he didn't believe I was his child and many other horrible things. When I tried to close the door, he would kick it open and say, if you close this door, I will kill you. I believed him. He was 6'5", over 250 pounds, so I believed him. I stood there attempting to find my worth in the mirror while fixing my hair and putting on makeup as I heard his voice remind me of how I was wasting my time. He would call me Dykes because I rarely wore dresses. I had on my cross-color fit Jodeci boots. I thought I was fly. He thought I was a girl who really wanted to be a guy. What he didn't know was that the kids would tease me about my skin at school and it made me feel less and less like a girl. So I dressed more masculine to cover up my shame. To him, I was gay and in the closet. To me, I was fighting to live another day, fighting to be accepted as a girl, always fighting until I became numb numb to any real acceptance or connection. I began to believe I was here for everyone's release because I could take it. If you needed to release verbally, go ahead, walk all over me. If you needed to release sexually, I could disappear in my mind and wander somewhere else while you got your fix. I mean, what's the point of curling your hair and putting on makeup if they don't see you? Always fighting. Something in me knew I had to find it. I had to dig deep and search within my soul. So I did. I searched. I looked. I dug and worked and worked and worked on myself to the point where I just knew I was ready for love. I fooled myself into believing that I knew what it was, but I didn't. I thought love was the opposite of my father, but I never let his words go. So all I kept doing was attracting him. I kept attracting people who didn't accept me, who misunderstood me, and who abused me. I kept creating these situations that left me in the bathroom wanting to close the door. But I can't. I hear his voice. If you close this door, I will kill you. It's like the antagonist was pushing me for something greater. So I can't hide. And here's why. I promised myself long ago that I would never silence myself again. I would tell my stories to help people so they won't be alone, so they can heal, so they will be understood and accepted, so they will find love. So y'all could call me crazy, 
insane, too open, too vulnerable, too emotional, whatever you want. I call myself free. I know what I've been through when I know my heart is gold and I know while I stand in the mirror and fix my hair and put on my makeup, I have no reason to ever close the door again. Thank you. You're welcome. That's the first time I read that poem and skipped some parts, but <laughs> it's still it's still gelled, I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked well. Because I've, I've heard both the full version and this version and I, I think you tell a story that people people can follow and it's a very emotional poem it describes some very deep wounds i was wondering when you wrote that poem i actually wrote this poem in 2016. Okay. um it came out of me after getting out of a relationship that wasn't healthy mm. and i think that relationship triggered memories from my father mm. And I just, one day, just started writing, and it came out. The poem is basically when I was a teenager. The way that relationship made me feel reminded me of how my father made me feel. Mm. Not as extreme. It wasn't as extreme as my father was, but it just triggered it. And that's when I wrote it in 2016, and I never released it. I didn't really perform it. I maybe performed it once or twice, maybe, mm -hmm. but it was really for a release for me. But I, I, I recall when I did perform that poem, how people were moved by it. Yeah. And so that made me be like, I need to perform this poem more because it's helping people. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it is really important to be able to say these things out loud because a, a lot of times we don't relate these stories because they're deeply painful and they're deeply personal. And one of the fears in relating something so personal and so painful is that the listening audience might not connect with it, might not accept it. Right. And I had a little fear, because I've always been a very transparent, open artist in general, poet in general, but I would do it with love or something like that. I never really touched on personal um, issues with family or how I grew up. So I believe this is the first poem that I actually shared something that I went through growing up mm -hmm. in a poem so yeah it was scary at first but once I released it it became easier mm -hmm. that's good you mentioned you you felt good once you read it to the audience do you feel that it has helped you uh in all the times that you have read it and kind of coming to terms and, and changing how you find new people in your life? Yes, it does. It does. Um, every time I read it, well, it is emotional for me, so every time I read it, I do have to, like, decompress. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, every time I read it, I learn something. And I'm like, especially at the end, like, it, 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 there was a lesson in it. I learned a lesson in it. So that... It's triggered in me, and I remember that lesson, and then I know how to present myself with the next person or in the next relationship or friendship. So it does help me every single time I read it because something jumps out of me. A section will jump out of me that's different than, the, you know, another section. Right. It's interesting how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. So one of the, the newest episode, Hunter, he was talking about writing poetry as a learning process learning something about yourself and, uh -huh. 
in, in what he writes and then he reads it and then he's like oh okay this is what I was trying to tell myself about me I mean, it sounds like that's that's sort of the experience you've been having as well uh, especially when you're performing it yes yes and and some poems they actually just pour out of me like I just write the whole thing and then mm -hmm. I go back and read it and I'm like oh so that's an old one, like Hunter said. I totally agree with that. Right. It, it happens to me at times, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's one line. You, you only say it in this one line, but it's an incredibly important line. And it jumps out at people, which is well, a couple of lines, actually. The, the, so the explanation you were giving us is that the kids at school were teasing you about your skin. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why you decided to dress um, more covered and less, I guess, less in skirts and such and more in, in pants. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Sure. I grew up with eczema. Mm. It's funny because I actually am dealing with it right now, but it was mm. really bad when I was from a kid all the way up until I was an adult pretty much. Mm. And so I had it everywhere. Yeah. So I, I got, you know, kids are... They can be mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I was teased and picked on, and people thought I had a disease. They were really, they were really mean to me. Mm -hmm. So I, it made me feel less like a girl because no guy wanted to date me. I mean, mm -hmm. I was a teenager. So right. Teenagers date. Right. Nobody, no guy wanted to date me. So I just felt I started wearing, I started covering up and wearing like long sleeve shirts, pants, and dressing more masculine. Like I would dress in baggier clothes. Right. You know, so a lot of people, so my a lot of people thought I was a lesbian, or my dad thought I was, because I never wore anything girly, because right. it would show my skin. Most feminine clothes, you know, right. it has a little bit more cleavage, skirts, things of that nature. Right. So it was very, very tough for me, because I knew I wanted to wear a dress, or I wanted to wear this cute short outfit, but I knew I would get teased so much. So right. I had a struggle with identity because of that, too. Like, just being myself like I couldn't really be myself so I was a very it was very hard for me mm -hmm. uh, as a teenager a kid you're a kid that's a little different but from 12 to about 18 it was extremely difficult for me because right. I had to battle with that identity thing and just truly being myself and I felt I couldn't because people would in my head I felt people wouldn't accept me because I looked different based on my skin Right, so, right. Um, as I, by, by the time I became a senior in high school, I was, I got over it by the time I became a senior, but most of junior high and high school, it was a struggle. Right, right. I mean, like, your, your adolescence is a struggle anyway, right? <laughs> right, exactly. It's awkward, you know, you reach puberty, all that stuff, so I'm dealing with that, then I'm dealing with, I think everyone... And you think now I know this is not true. It's just been used. Mm. I, at that time, I thought everyone was against me just because I looked the way I looked. Right. You know? Right, right. So, yeah. 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 Well, you did also say that people were making fun of you, so it's not completely unfounded or anything. It also, just going through puberty again is already, that's the time when you're trying to establish yourself as your own sort of individual, right? And, and not being able to, and then feeling both pushback when you're in school, in the public arena, and then when you're back home, because having somebody who doesn't understand what you're going through. Right, so I, literally, everywhere I went, it was either I was getting teased or I was getting verbally abused. Like, it, literally, that was my life for from 12 to about 17. 
Because right. the dad didn't, he wanted me to be a girl, and I, and I, he just didn't get it. He was, he was an abusive man anyway, so we need to talk about that. But mm. so everywhere I went, and I had no outlet, so that's how I started. I feel well, I started at nine, but I did I started writing music at twelve. Oh, okay. So that's when I got my keyboard and all that. So I literally, music and poetry and any type of art saved my life. That's how I got through every single day. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that they did because what a shame it would be would have been to lose you because of people who, you know, are unkind. Right. I'm assuming, but you let me know. Part of the reason why you wore baggy clothes is because tight clothes exasperate the eczema. Yes, that's part of it too. It was uncomfortable. If it touched your skin, it made it worse. So I dressed to be comfortable because. If it was too tight, it made it itch more, things of that nature. So I purposely dressed the way I did. And then, and then honestly, I was losing my identity as a female. Mm. I really just was like, I don't even want to be a female. It's weird. Mm. I didn't want to be a male, but I was like, I, I just, I'm not meant to be a female, I guess. I'll just start dressing like a guy. You know mm. what I mean? But I still wore makeup and jewelry and stuff, so it wasn't like a whole butch thing. Nothing against that. I'm just saying, it wasn't like I shaved my head. And no, I still had long hair. And it's just, I was like, I'm going to just accept that this is how I'm supposed to be dressing. Right, right. What well, it's it's really interesting because in your experience, it also teases out this very strong homophobic environment that you had to navigate through. Yes, and I have no issues with, with, but you know, my family, you know, people grow up Christian and everything, but my father was a Christian, but he, he, I never even thought about sexuality in that way. I'm 14, 15, but he would call me these names, and I'm like, what's that? I had to look and be like, what's a dyke? I don't even know what that is. And then I was just like, oh, okay, he's saying that because I have on these baggy pants and this baggy shirt, and I never brought dudes over because they never liked me. It wasn't that I didn't like men. They just mm-hmm. never liked me, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. he just assumed that at an early age, I, I, I feel like I, I don't know how to explain it. The homophobic thing was hit hard in my, at an early age, and I didn't even understand it. Right, right. And then you go on to talk about how, how this affected the your relationships, right? And the, and the men you ended up, having relationships with you were saying that you know those teenagers didn't really was not gravitating toward you was it something that just happened or was it something that was gradual process into these uh, sort of abusive relationships good question well the first relationship real one i had was my seat was was up towards junior senior year in high school and that person if you ever listen to us just i don't care he didn't even want a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. I I was persistent, and I was trying to get my friends. And basically, we became friends, and he saw I was so cool. He was like, you're such a cool person. Mm-hmm. That's how we became friends. But he wasn't attracted to me either because of the issue. Right. But he ended up not being a good person for me. The whole part with, with the laying down sexually and all that, like it was, it was like I always attracted people who were very... I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but they were either narcissistic or they had sex addictions, things of that nature. So I was attracting my father. My father is a very strong narcissistic man, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I attracted people like him and the whole part where I would just lay down, go ahead, accept, go ahead and do whatever. There were people that I would 
just be in relationships. Once I became in my 20s, the eczema wasn't as bad. Mm-hmm. So I started dress more feminine, not completely, because I was trying to discover that side of me that I never got a chance to know. Yeah. But I did start dating people, but it was people who just wanted to use me for sex. And I let them because I was like, the, the whole thing that I went through with the identity, I think is what it, I feel is what it was. Not even finding my identity as a female because I feel it was taken away. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even sexually be with people. So I would just be like, go ahead. If you want to, it's like, it was, it was like a codependency was there. Like I was mm-hmm. like, you want to have sex with me? I'm going to give you my body, even though I'm checked out. Yeah. You want to verbally abuse me? I don't care. I grew up with my father. He verbally abused me. You know, that type of energy. I, yeah. I completely did not love myself enough to be like, no, this is not okay. Right, right. Until now. Now I do. But right. it took me like 15 to 20 years to finally get out of that cycle. Right, right. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that made you decide to get out of it? Was there, um, usually it's, again, it's a gradual process, but what was your experience like? It, it was a gradual process, but it was basically just relationship after relationship after relationship. Not too many of them, but right. either I did have good people in my life and I didn't know how to receive it because right. I, I just pushed them away. Right. Or I attracted people who were, like I said, narcissistic or just abusive. I checked in my dad. So it was like, I finally got to the point where I was like, I did my own work, you know, I've, I've mm-hmm. done my own healing work and, and things of that nature. So the more I did my own healing work, the more I became aware of who I am, loving myself, things of that nature. So it got to the point where I was like, no, okay, first you got to love yourself first. Yeah. So I had to do the work of self-love first. And then I started to see the patterns of my codependency and how you know, all of that. And then once I did that, I finally said, no, I'm not accepting this any longer. Mm -hmm. And once I did that, I stopped attracting those people. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was a long process, but I finally am at the point where I I recognize them right away. They don't get like two seconds with me. Like I can tell who they are right away. Right, right, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things, right? It's to recognize the pattern that you're in and then also be able to keep them at bay because sometimes you recognize it, but you can't keep them at bay. Exactly. And I was that way just two years ago. I was going to keep it honest. Like, this is still an evolution for me. Like, I was that way two years ago. I recognize it, but I still, you know, because you you think you can change people and you hope, and it's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's their journey. You can't change them. They have to learn that on their own that they're this way or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's like you you think you're in love with someone and they seem like they're almost there. They're almost there. If you just help them get there the rest of the way, but when it's not really your responsibility. Exactly, and that's part of the codependency. That's why I'm writing a book on it because I I was a codependent person. I I'm a poster child for that, honestly. And mm-hmm. I learned the different relationships how I was. So I want to help people to recognize that, you know. Mm-hmm. So definitely, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful when somebody in your situation when you get out of it that you are willing to turn around and help other people, lend a hand to other people to help them out as well. And I think you touch on it already, but I, I do want to go into it specifically because you talked about, you know, always fighting, always fighting. Um, mm-hmm. 
I can see the metaphorical aspect of it. At the same time, I was wondering if this is also based on something that's more um, literal as well. Well, I never got in a physical fight. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but what's in, yes, because I suffer from depression. I was diagnosed with it as a teen. I was given medication, all that stuff. I was suicidal, mm-hmm. attempted it, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was the fight. The fight right. of me not giving up and, and believing that whatever love was, I didn't know, but I knew it was out there, right. that I would find it and that I would experience it. Mm-hmm. So that was the fight. Like I had to fight from like just picking myself up off the ground and continue to go to school, continue to go back home and deal with my dad, continue, you know what I mean? Continue to deal in my twenties with fighting, believing that I'll I'll attract the man that will treat me right, whatever. I never gave up basically. So that's, that's the fight that I'm talking about. Right. Right. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of internal struggle and, as you said, sometimes sometimes when you're in such dire situations, it's easy to just think, if I just end it all, then I don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy. And that's why I can, and it's not to talk about this, but I can relate to people who feel that way. I totally understand it. Yeah. And I know I can help them, I feel, get out of it because I got out of it. So I know. Right. I get it. Right. Do you mind if I ask you, for those who might find themselves in that situation, what do you suggest they think about? What do you suggest that they would do? That's a good question. Uh, Because I've, the old me would say one thing and the new me would say one thing. So it depends on the person. It's individual. I can't, I I don't believe when it comes to something of this this topic that I can say it works. The same thing will work for everyone else. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know why you feel that way. So the one thing is, let's let's talk about the why. Mm-hmm. That's a general thing. Yeah. And then I would be like, talk about the why. And then if you could have the life that you want or the feeling that you want, what does that look like? Because you got to get people to to imagine what they want. Because right. once they imagine what they want and they can feel it in their body, what it what it is and what it looks like. Once they have that, then we can work on getting them there. Right. So that's the only thing I can say. It can, it's broken down even more based on each individual, though. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, no matter what, the, whether it's physical medicine that we take or, or mental, psychological medicine, it always has to be rooted in the individual circumstances. Yeah, and some people do need medication. There was the time that I needed it. I needed it. I was. I had to take it as an adult at one time too. This mm-hmm. was. Um, I want to say, two thousand eight. Around that time, I was on it medication as well. Nobody knew that, but my close friends. Right. Right. So, but now I don't need it because I. I know how to heal myself from it. So I. I'm not against medication. I believe some people do need it until mm-hmm. they get to the point where they don't. Right, right. It's sort of like having bandages, right? When you when you first get cut, if you're bleeding, you should have some bandages on. But then, as you heal, you can take that off. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that's important with someone who is dealing with any type of mental illness or suicidal thoughts is, I think people tend to judge. Mm-hmm. People are always judging. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they don't understand, or they think someone's faking, or they just want attention, or they're sub. It's always a judgment energy, and, the, and people don't understand that pushes you deep, pushes them deeper into the hole. 
Yeah. Um, so you have to what I call hold space. Basically, mm-hmm. just be there, and, and, under, and you don't have to understand. Just just be there and say, hey, whatever you need, I got you. I'm, how can I assist you in this situation? I don't understand it, but I'm going to be there for you. And I think that is a key to people who deal with mental illnesses. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that most people don't understand because especially in the world we live in now, how fast it is, right? Um, People expect you to somehow just, you know, if they give you some amount of attention, whether no matter how genuine they care, they expect that to be a maybe one-time thing or or a quick thing. And, and if you continue to need their understanding, sometimes they don't necessarily have the patience or the mindset for that. Right. Yeah. That is true. So it is important to find people who do understand. Yeah, yeah. Because there, there's people out there that understand mental illness, understand. And anybody listening, I'm one of those people. So if you're young and you need someone to talk to, feel free to email me. Right. I understand. Right. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, again, really very generous of you to offer that to people because it is it is hard to come by, as you said. And and previously when you were talking about envisioning a better future, I, I think it's incredibly important that you touch on that because as we both know, since we both work in creative industries, if we can't envision it, then we can't make it happen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Also, I do have a background in hypnotherapy. I don't say it too, okay. many, too much, but I do do I did study that. So mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of creating, uh, changing the story, mm-hmm. visualization. It's right. all the same thing. Right. So um, you have to see yourself somewhere in order to get there. If you don't see yourself there, you will not get there. Right. Because you that's that's how they always say. Remember your why. Remember your why. That's right. the why. Mm-hmm. Like. You're, you're, you're not giving up because your why is I want to feel better. I want to, you know, mostly, most of the time it's feel better when you're dealing with mental illness or depression or, just, you know, suicidal thoughts. Yeah. It's like, what do they say? Your thoughts create your reality. It's all mm. the same thing. You have to think it first and then visualize it. And then it becomes a part of you. And then I'm a firm believer of attracting law of attraction that's how you attract it because you have to visualize it first right i really believe people can pull themselves out of a dark hole is what i like to call it Mm -hmm. once they start visualizing where they want to be and that's the key because once they got that it won't go away and Mm -hmm. they can continue maybe they may need to like be reminded that's where a mentor comes in or something of that nature hey what's your what did you visualize remember that remember that they may need a coach or something but that's the key to pull them out the hole that's what i strongly believe yeah i I think so too and i think that you know one one of the aspects of law of attraction is the fact that when we visualize something when we think about what we want and the more specific the better right once we think about it our mind is trained to look for it so we pay attention to that we give that a highlight basically we give our minds a highlighter to highlight those traits in every person we meet from then on exactly that's a perfect way to explain it thank you and that is what allows us to bring forward those 
people we meet that fit those criteria that we want to see in the people we want to associate with in the future. Uh, and so it's really important for us to, as you said before, you know, visualize what you want for your future, no matter what your current situation is. And you need to say, this is what I want. Obviously, we need to first identify the problem, but we also need to, in the ways that we can, identify the solution. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, one thing I can't even I want to point out, like, we'll visualize something and it may not necessarily manifest exactly how we visualize it. Most of the time, it's better than what we visualize. Mm. Like, meaning it won't, like, happen exactly the same way. And, and that's another thing we have to release attachment to it. So that's mm -hmm. important, too. You visualize it, but it release attachment to how it's going to come. If it's going to come just like that, just know it's coming and it's going to be good for you. Right. So that's a key thing, too, that needs to be addressed when it comes to this. Right. Yeah. It's very important to have that. And also give yourself the time, right? Because it's not, it might not come right away. It's not like clicking your heels or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Like, it could be years. I'll just say things for me personally. I There's things that haven't manifested yet. And then there's things that manifested, but it did 10 years later, five years later. Right. Some right. things a week. It just depends. It's all, you just have to trust that it's all, it's going to happen when it's supposed to. Right. Right. You know? And you have to keep working on it because it's, it's developing new habits, but also getting used to new environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, re you're reprogramming yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Really is. Yeah. yeah. Because and I think I, the one thing that came to me, and, and if I'm talking too much to say, I'm just one of those people I get messages and I share it. So mm -hmm. one thing that came to me, because we're talking, we were talking about depression and all this stuff and the mental illness and stuff is why did I just lose the thought? <laughs> oh, a lot of people stay in that in that hole is what I call it mm -hmm. because they are not they don't know the power that is within them that they can reprogram themselves that they can change everything. Right. It's, it's 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 there's a there's an ignorance not the bad way ignorance but ignorance of not knowing. Right. So all of them will take offense to that <laughs> that you can actually transform it. You just don't know that you have that power to do so. Mm -hmm. And you think your situation is going to stay the same when you don't realize you can change your situation. So I think it's important to teach people that, you know, you have the power to change it. Right, right. And sometimes it's okay to ask for help because you don't necessarily have to do it all by yourself. But to be okay with asking for help, but also know that you do have the power to envision what you want for the future. Uh -huh. And so that when you're asking for help, that makes it easier for people to give you the help because then you know what you're asking for from them. That is true. I think a lot of people, and I'll say for even myself, where there was a fear of asking for help because you don't want to mm -hmm. be judged. Just yeah. Because you don't want to be looked at as, what's wrong with you? Why can't you function around people? Why are you, you know what I mean? Right. You don't want to be judged, so you're scared to ask for help. But I feel now it's 2020, there's a lot more people who can relate to what that feels like. Right. So yes, asking right. for help is really important and I feel that more people are willing to help now than they were maybe 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think people are now more willing to talk about what's going on, these pains in their lives uh, and realize in talking about it, they might be able to find other people who have shared similar experiences. Um, uh -huh. and similar pain and, and 
help each other forward. And I think it's it's pretty much in that spirit that I've decided to read this particular poem that I selected of mine with yours. It's called This Too is Love. I'm going to read it and then we can talk about it. My mom is there for me in her own pragmatic way. I fought to get to this stage. Trevor Noah tells the story of his mom's desire to have a child so that she could experience unconditional love. I wonder if that was my mom's reason as well. We love each other in the most incompatible ways. We care by nitpicking till the soul bleeds and begging voices search for places to hide because pleads have never been heeded. We love in bitter fights fought through cold, silent stretches where the fire of anger meets its dead stop at a wall of ice, thickened through years of trauma that only numbness can deaden, and the pain of unrequited love bleeds out against undermined emotions that erases your personhood, your essence. Between the roughshod written nerves and the foundations built incrementally through years of self-assertion and beaten retreat pulses this self-replicating thorn-infested love for those who tout the power of those four little letters they evade this version also potent and indelible full of undercurrents of rough seas not advertised on comms rulian brochures this is the version too few talk about the one we often live with while posting snapshots of constructive fantasies. That's a great piece. Thank you. We appreciate that. I feel like as I'm reading it, because, you know, I just heard your piece, that there are a lot of very similar elements, such as the emotional numbness, right, that we basically have to put ourselves in in order to self-protect. That was the thing I noticed when the was the numbness that did stand out to me. I, I that's the first thing that stood out to me. There was something else too, but I, I want you to go ahead and no, no, please um, tell me what what you were because um, there was a part um, in the poem. I'm trying to yeah, that whole section when you were saying the numbness and then you said uh, bleeds against undermined emotions erases your personhood when you said that that reminded me when i was talking about my identity mm-hmm. and i couldn't find my identity because it was and i felt that you explained what i was trying to explain in my poem like it was erased right. because so yeah i wanted to point that out that i was like oh that's that's what i wanted to say that's exactly how i wanted to say it but not you know what i mean i said it the way i said it but it's exactly the same thing is what i'm trying to say yeah Please, go ahead. <laughs> yeah no no i i I think that's what I saw as well when I was reading it. I was like, huh, yeah, that's what she was saying. That's why I picked this poem because there is the same thing of being unappreciated for who you are. And it's especially undermining because you were at that time trying to find out who you are as an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the time where you, you are discovering who you are, but at the same time, I couldn't find it because 
who I was wanting to be, but I was like I was told I couldn't be. Right. I would. It wasn't good enough. Right. That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Right. Right. And it just that sense of not being good enough, being judged by another person, it leads you to feeling like what you were talking about—that feeling of judgment. Also. It makes you feel afraid to, in a way, ask for help as well, because asking for help is us showing ourselves as ourselves in our most vulnerable times. And if we don't feel like that, the people we've interacted with, especially these primary relationships like father and mother, if they don't reflect back to us the appreciation for who we are. Then it makes it that much more difficult for us to be asking strangers for help because our mind is telling us how can we get help from these people who don't know me at all when the people who are supposed to know me the best are rejecting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I couldn't trust anybody. I didn't think anybody would be there for me or, or understand or anything. Mm-hmm. So yes. Right. It's so hard to and get out of that thinking too, as you said. And another, I think, commonality in our poems is this idea of having to keep fighting against this current, to fighting, keep fighting against people who believe that they had a right to tell us who we should be. Right. That's interesting. You said a right to tell us exactly, but it's like, but then again, it's it's your parents, so you're like, that's a struggle there, because you're like, well, they kind of have a right, but then again, they don't have a right. 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 It's a struggle. Yeah, it really is, because even though we come from our parents, literally, the fact is we're not their mirrors. There are parts of us that remind them of themselves. But we don't reflect them exactly as they are. We are different from them. That is true. Yes. Sometimes for the better. I mean, I mean, this is why people have children, right? Because I mean, biologically speaking, you have children so that you could sort of reproduce better versions of yourself. So you can maybe breed out things like certain diseases, tendency toward diseases and such. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. So it's in a way very biological that we have children in order to better ourselves. At the same time, I, I think human beings are kind of stupid in our supposed smartness, <laughs> like in our supposed <laughs> intelligence. Yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> we're so uh, egotistical about how smart we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we basically trip ourselves up. We do. We don't know anything. I mean, yeah. once we think we know everything, then we we'll get we get humbled. Yeah. Once the ego comes off, something humbles us. It's like, no, you don't know as much as you think you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And until we get to that point where when we become humble and when we admit to ourselves that we know very little, if anything yeah. at all, yeah, you know. I mean, I because I'm a super spiritual person, but it's a whole other time. I feel when you're in your higher self, now that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But when you're in like your flesh, human, no, you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And it's a really painful journey from the point where you think you know everything to the point where you're like, eh, well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it can be embarrassing too. I've had embarrassing moments. But. Yeah, yeah. It definitely can be, definitely. Especially for people who hold on to their beliefs even in the face of evidence to the tr- contrary. When that, yes. yeah. When that final moment comes, it can be really difficult and embarrassing. I want to know when you wrote it. This I wrote last year. The one question I really want to know is what inspired it. Like, why did you write it? It's a combination. I don't know what your relationship with your dad is. My relationship with my mom has evolved, partly because it had to, because I was kind of forced to live with her again. Um, and and it was really painful because it it really just brings back a lot of childhood memories that you know you rather just go on from you you rather not live through again and she still has the ability to hurt me and sometimes it does feel like that's something that she's basically honed <laughs> like this is something that's an aim in her life or something sometimes it feels that way. And it can be very painful, uh, as you, you probably understand, because, you know, it's somebody who's known you all your life. And one of the more painful parts of it is that because they're one of the people who's known you all your life, the fact that they know so little about you in itself is very painful. I understand that. I understand that. <laughs> yes, I can. Yeah. The, the last part that they know so little about you is very painful. Yes, I totally agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. That really, because because a lot of the sections in this poem, I was like, wow, they're so it's so deep. But you you explained it in a nutshell. You explained it. Like I was like, what? Why did she write? I mean, I I know like the general reason why you wrote it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to know, like the you know the more personal reason why. Yeah. So thank you for for sharing that. There's just so many lines in here that like I like the last line while posting snapshots of constructive fantasies. Right. I get that as like you want your relationship to be one way, but it's not. And so it's like, to me, I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's like you are just accepting what is. That's what I got from that line. Yeah, I, I think there's one aspect of that that, that is exactly that, uh, which is instead of just saying this is because one of the reasons I realized why I was being hurt so much is that I had this expectation about our relationship. That really has nothing to do with the fact of our actual relationship. Because there is that stereotype of what your relationship with your parents are supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And obviously she was not living up to that. And we were not living up to that. And I realized that false expectation was causing so much more pain than was necessary. If I had just accepted the fact that this is the relationship between us, then we can maybe, uh, well, at least I can work on it to make it better instead of just feeling both the hurt, uh, being hurt by her, by what she, the things that she would say to me or try to say to me to hurt me, and also dealing with the pain from this gap in expectation. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And one of the other reasons why I wrote it was also because towards the end of last year, around October, I had interviewed someone who was talking about caring for her dad who had dementia. 
In fact, this title comes from her poem, from, from one of the lines of her poem. This too is love, because she was talking about dealing with the, um, the traumas of, of this illness that was making her dad into a completely different person than the ones that she's known most of her life. And she and I were talking about love, and I find that a lot of people nowadays, maybe forever, when they talk about love, they think of it as always a rosy version, a perfect version, a everybody except each other exactly for what they are kind of version, which I don't know if it actually exists ever. It's more an ideological love than the real love that we have to deal with. I agree. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that also comes into this sort of the social media life that we live, right? We tend to post these beautiful pictures of this life that looks so be- wonderful from the outside, but when we actually get closer to the real lives of these people, it might not be anything like that. It might actually be quite the opposite of it. Right. I, I just find, especially the whole selfie thing, I, I'm not sure to say, I just know of personally people post selfies and, and they do that to probably lift themselves up because I know their personal life, they're going through a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, just friends of mine, but it's like, it's exactly what you said. People go off the picture and like, oh, they must have the best life. And people assume people's relationships are so awesome yeah. when it's not, you know? So exactly. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. That's why I put that in because like you, I'm also writing in order to read it to others. And I'm hoping that my poem will allow people to think of love in all its versions because I know my mom loves me. But she loves me in her way and in a way that obviously is unhealthy for me as a person, as the individual Asian process. At the same time, I don't doubt that she loves me. And that's something that is very, very difficult to accept when we only think of love as this picture perfect or everybody understand and accept each other for what they are kind of love. Right. I agree. Yeah. Like you said, your relationship evolving, that's awesome because most people wouldn't even try to do that. If they're in a relationship with someone that the love that's given to them is unhealthy, usually people run or they shut it off or anything like that, you know? Whether it's a mother, whatever. I I know people who don't talk to their parents at all, you know? So Mm. I have not spoken to my father since I was 18. Mm. But that's because of his physical abuse. He's not insane so I I had to cut him off for safety right I commend the fact that that you're still there you know what I mean I guess that's what I want to say because you you understand it like I'm still learning I'm learning how to stay with people or keep them in my lives who who their love that they give me is I don't like the way it feels but it's how they love me though and I have to accept that I think we can accept it and still put a good boundary around us. The fact is, one of the reasons why our relationship evolved was because I had to be with her. I am no longer with her. And it's definitely healthier because I felt like even though I was trying to better the relationship, she was not doing anything about it. And it's such a heavy burden to carry when you have to do it by yourself. 
it's evolving still. It has made me force me to learn to set up better boundaries to realize that if I don't keep these boundaries, I will get hurt. So it's, it is still, it is still very burdensome and it's very tiring still. So I don't, I don't have as much interaction with her as would another person who has a much better relationship with their parents. So I don't think you need to, anyone needs to keep their parents, their relatives, or, or anyone, anyone who claims to love them in their lives, if they feel like the love that they're receiving is unhealthy for their well-being. You know, I agree with you. I totally do. And I was thinking about what I said, and I was like, I, I know what I wanted to say, but mm-hmm. it came out a way where people were like, should you stay with people who are abusive or who are this? I thought you are against that. And I, that's not what I mean. So I, I'm glad you said it that way because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's just relationship-based. I, I guess what I'm, what, I wanted, what I'm trying to say is there are times, I don't know, there are times people don't know how to love you properly, but you know they love you. Right. So it's like, yes, you should have boundaries. There's certain people you shouldn't deal with at all. You just right. cut them off at all because yeah. it's completely unhealthy. Yeah. So you just have to use discernment. And then there's certain people in your life that you're like, they may hurt you occasionally because they just don't know how to love you or the way they show it. It's just like it, it affects you a little bit, but you know deep down inside that they love you. So that's, like you said, the boundaries. That's a perfect way of explaining it. Like maybe you need to not engage with them as much or like you know, if it's friends like you can love them from a distance but when you see each other you still give them a hug that type of thing so I right. guess that's what I was trying to say just saying come on come on we'll no that's cool because <laughs> because I think I think there is an expectation from like any culture right there, especially tight-knit cultures there tends to be this I was trying to tell this person I met about my relationship with my parents and they keep saying, oh, you know, they're getting so old, you might never see them again, so you should forgive them for these, this and that. And I can't even explain the amount of pain that I've had to, I've gone through in order for me to just say, finally, no, that's enough, absolutely no. You know, when we come to these decisions, it's not a light decision, as you know. It's a painful decision. So for people, outsiders, you, you know, from tight-knit cultures to say, oh, yeah, they're getting older, forgive them. I think it's, it causes extra emotional burden because then you, it makes you feel guilty for protecting yourself. Right. It does. You're right. So I think another reason I, I wrote my poem is to allow people to realize that it's not enough to just say, oh, love is the answer. Because people love in all kinds of ways. Sometimes really horrible ways. That is true. You're right. It's okay. Especially if they're a narcissist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. When people say love is the answer, you always have to kind of say, what kind of love, though? Like, uh, you know, can you specify Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I think we 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 need to reprogram our mind on what actually love. Like you said before, like in, in 
I don't know, I can't remember how you explained it, but like what love actually is. Like, yeah. people have a misconception of love. And the whole term unconditional love, I'm, I'm working on that too. I just had a conversation with a friend about that. He doesn't believe in unconditional love, he, he, does, he believes it has conditions. Mm. And I was like, hmm, that's a thought. So, not to talk about that now, I just, it, just, it just came to my mind. I'm like, because I always was, oh, unconditional love, I believe it's real. And it's interesting. <laughs> That, that this poem makes me think about that too like yeah is it actually real? you know I, I think it's an excellent point i think again unconditional love is one of those very idealized loves it just you know being accepted for exactly who you are and the uh and you accepting the other person and for exactly what they are and actually not even that it's more like no matter how the other per person comes to you you love each other for just for that but that's not fair. That's a lot of expectation, I feel like. Because what if you meet an axe murderer? And are you supposed to accept them for what they are? <laughs> you know? They love to kill you. <laughs> I mean, do you yeah, want that I, kind of I, love? I feel you. I feel you. That's a good point. Um, he brought up, like, say, like, someone has a weakness. And what and they show that weakness or that weakness is revealed. Will that person stick around because they're... To them, it's they're weak, and he asked me what I, I said I would. That, yeah. but that's me because I've been in situations where people have turned their back on me when I was weak and going through stuff. So I won't do that to someone else. Right. But everyone's different, so right. I relate that to unconditional love. But your point made me think even more. Like, hmm, would I be with someone who's an expert?er Probably not. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that's the sort of the point of conditional love because i feel like we are all loving conditionally we are all loving anybody in that comes in our life that we claim to love it's because of certain things about them and how they make us feel so that in itself yeah. is a condition it's a conditional i guess that's interesting and i agree with you but what came to me was like that's the whole point of communication though communication yeah. is super important yeah. Now, yeah. Something extreme like an axe murder or a serial killer. That, I mean, that's I mean, that's extreme. But just <laughs> the, the everyday stuff, I feel com communication is what kind of breaks those barriers down. That's just me, though. That I, I absolutely agree with. I think the everyday stuff, when someone comes into your life, they don't, they won't necessarily know exactly how you need to be loved, exactly when and where, whatever, like all the, all the little details that's involved, right? The same with those, that person. We have to negotiate them. We have to, we have to get to know each other, to know how they want to love. And that is absolutely, as you said, the, the, it comes down to communication. If we don't communicate to each other, if we're not being honest with each other, then how can we expect to be loved the way that we want to be loved? Exactly. And we can't get mad when they don't because we didn't tell them. Like, <laughs> everyone has different love languages. Like, some right. people like gifts. Some people like, you know, physical touch. Some people right. don't. Like, right. Exactly. That's the whole thing about... People are lazy. I'm just probably right out. Lazy. You don't want to. You want to get to know each other, and you really don't, because you do it. In my opinion, well, you can do it different ways, but communication is a great way to get to know somebody. Yeah, and and also <laughs> self awareness, because if you don't understand yourself, even if you communicate well, you don't know what you're communicating. So. 
Exactly. That's a great point. Yes. Thank you. So that's why people should be alone until they get to that point before they try to be with someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, they definitely should meditate on who they are and what they want. So it goes back to your envisioning again, because if we don't know what we want, then how can we get it, right? How can we ask somebody for it? True. True. And you know, what? I'm going to retract what I said. I I don't. I, I don't agree with that. I, I didn't feel right saying that you shouldn't be alone because I believe that you don't have to have everything together. You can be with a person and you guys can can build each other up. I, I'm one of those people that believe that can happen, but you have to, like I said, communicate, be willing to do it, be open, honest, all of those things. I think, so, yeah. I think, I think you're right, though. I think we don't take enough time alone in terms of taking time with ourselves to properly know how we want to be loved, how we love ourselves, a, a lot of the times is because we don't understand that, that we can't communicate that to other people. And there is too much of an emphasis, especially in our culture, of somehow seeing being alone, especially when it comes to women, um, as somehow a failure, somehow a judgment on the attractiveness of a person. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, I agree with the people who just jump from relationship to relationship and don't take the time to be single for a little bit. Mm. I definitely feel that for sure. Yeah, yeah. In these movies, things like, oh, you complete me. I'm like, oh my God, if you need somebody to complete you, that is a codependent relationship. Exactly. <laughs> and as soon as they do something that's not whatever they fall short a little bit then you're going to feel what what's the word depleted like right. something's gonna be missing so then yeah for sure you have to be whole first it's like two holes come together right right to make yeah. it a better hole you know it's not yeah i just don't feel like we have we give ourselves enough time to think about these things and to heal unless we are faced in situations like both of us have been through where we're forced to deal with these things. Exactly. And I tell people that I talk to you all the time, I, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't go through that, the hard stuff I went through. That's mm -hmm. what got me here, you know? Right. And I'm still learning. I mean, we're all still learning. Yeah. Just... Yeah, we are. We are. You know, it's it's difficult because things are always changing and we're getting older and we have to learn about living with our bodies as a as they change and you know, all of these things are always learning, constantly learning about what's going on in the world and, and our bodies and our spiritual like well being as well as psychological well being. Uh -huh. well, in any case, I really appreciate this talk, and I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's been nice to talk with someone who's gone through similar <laughs> situations to kind of, you know, you don't have to prime somebody before you have the conversation. You can just jump into the conversation. <laughs> yes, I, I enjoyed the talk. I didn't know what to expect. And it was it was better than what I expected. Like, oh, good. I really I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Nice. I learned a lot, and I like to learn. And yeah. you know, Me too. it was great. Yeah, thank you. thank you as well. So, before I let you go, um, if you can tell us, I don't know if you're doing any virtual readings, but at least how we can follow you online. Um, on all social media, 
I'll give you Twitter. I don't do Twitter a lot, but Instagram is Mystic Blue, but then the number is 223. So Mystic Blue 223. Mm-hmm. That's for my Instagram and that's Twitter. Facebook, I'm Mystic Blue. That's the music page. I will start doing some more stuff on there because I am currently working on stuff. And I and I am releasing a poetry book. I It's written. It's finished. Great. I'm just trying to decide if I want to put an audio version with it. So I'm, I'm struggling on that. But it will be released within the next month or so. And I will post that on Instagram, Facebook, you know, how to get a hold and how you can purchase a book and cool. the link to that. Cool. Very cool. Please let me know when, when it happens. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and the SoundCloud page, you can also listen to all the Poets and Muses episodes via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, as well as TuneIn. Thank you very much for listening. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.